On this episode of Loading Screen, we're joined by Nick from Thunder Lotus Games. We'll be talking about their game Spiritfare, some of the development stories, challenges, and their thoughts on the management genre, or as they call it, a cozy management game about dying. As always, I'm your host, Tristan. And this is Reza. Thanks so much for joining us today. Cool. Maybe we can start with a quick round of introductions. We would love to learn more about you and the studio. I know you're not a founder of the studio, so maybe getting into that as well. Um, could you tell us about, a bit about yourself and the history of Thunder Lotus? Yeah, absolutely. So nice to meet you guys today. So my name is Nick, uh, Nick Garen, and I'm a uh, creative director at Thunder Lotus Game, and I was creative director and lead designer and lead writer on Spiritfarer. And um, yeah, I joined the company three years ago, uh, a bit more than that, actually, but uh, it was in October 2017. And um, prior to my uh, presence at the studio, the, the company had been founded by Will Dubé and Alex Monette, and the two of them had been spearheading, uh, spearheading games uh, before. So uh, Jotun and Sundered where the two games uh, released prior to Spiritfarer. And we are doing 2D hand-drawn animated games, and we'll be doing 2D hand-drawn animated games for a very long while, and probably forever. Uh, this is the DNA of the studio. Uh, key members of the team are uh, Joe Gauthier and Alex Boyer. Uh, the both of them are. Joe uh, is the art director and Alex the animation director, and they come from you know traditional... 2D animation. So their background is in uh, is in basically they can do movies and, and TV animation, and they decided to join the video games industry uh, because they are uh, massive geeks as we uh, all are, and because they love the medium. Um, so yeah, uh, as for myself, I have been working mainly in AAA before joining the indie uh, wagon, and I was the level design director on Assassin's Creed uh, for some projects for Unity on Syndicate. I worked on Origin as well. And before that, I was in Electronic Arts Montreal, where I worked on different types of franchise from Army of Two to Skate to uh, SSX. So uh, many different types of, uh, of games, but yeah. Nice, cool. And what interested you about moving from AAA to an indie setting? So many things. Uh, first, I'd say the um, much more reasonable scope and, and team size, of course. Uh, the last game I had shipped at Ubisoft was Assassin's Creed Origin, and uh, it was made by a team of more than 215 Montreal plus uh, like five or six studios. So you have to count maybe 700 developers over the course of many years. It's a whole lot of people. And uh, although you're doing something absolutely massive in scope and, and, and incredible in, in the level of, of detail and quality you want to you achieve, um, I've been growing close to the indie scene for a long while before that. And yeah, and uh, Spiritfarer has been shipped with a team of uh, 15 people. Uh, and every team member's work counts way more on the project than anyone on AAA, in a AAA setting. And uh, as for myself, yeah, as um, we'll be talking about this a bit later today probably, but the um, my approach has always been to game design um an approach of uh, purpose and meaning. And I always try to find games and I want to play games that do have a purpose and I want to make games that do have a purpose. And uh, I've always felt it's, I'm not, it's not entirely true, but I've always felt like in the indie scene, you had way more um, games that were trying to uh, reach that kind of, uh, of um, you know, um, I'd say art form, you know, but uh, maybe it's a bit too uh, presumptuous, but I've always, you know, thought that games were art. So here we go. Yeah, that's super interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about how the team would describe the genre of Spiritfarer? Right. Um, 
So spirit fruit, yeah, we define it by uh, as, as I said, uh, Tristan, at the beginning of the interview, the uh, we call it a cozy management game about dying. So management game is up there, of course. Um, to be more precise, it's um, farming simulation. So it's um, it's a management game that relies heavily on 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 farming ish. Well, I say farming because every time we talk about farming simulation, we think of the uh, very you know high level game design uh, farming sim, but uh, at core, farming is way more complicated than just planting seeds and then you know watering them and then you know waiting for carrots to grow. There, it's a bit more complex than that. But still, uh, the farming sim genre is is a very interesting genre because it's a it's a low pace, uh, low stress, um, kind of relaxing, a bit chory like genre. Uh, um, our biggest predecessor was uh, by a very wide margin Stardew Valley that many people have been playing, which is an absolutely awesome game, pretty much using the formula uh, created by Harvest Moon, which is the uh, a franchise that is basically dwindling down because it had like doing some so many weird things to franchise, but the game at uh, its core is still pretty much the same thing. And uh, so Asperger was uh, and it is uh, a farming simulation in which some other types of game mechanics elements are implemented, like platforming. Uh, you have uh, mini games as well. And I would also say that it's uh, a narrative adventure where you have to kind of have conversation with people on a on a boat. But yeah, yeah, the game uh, it honestly reminded me a little bit of uh, of Hades in the way that it tried to combine the narrative elements uh, with the core gameplay mechanics of of other That's farming nice farming you. type games. Um, I, I mean, I, I I had a great time playing it. How did the team land on you know building a game like this? Uh, it seemed different too, but obviously also similar to some of your previous games. Um, how did you guys decide to go down this route? Yeah, actually, the uh, narrative element was a novelty to this, for the studio because I uh, when I joined, we didn't have really any uh, form of, of narrative pipeline or process um, on the team. And uh, I, for myself, had worked on many types of different narrative projects. Um, I was fortunate enough to work more on the mission side and Assassin's Creed as well, and, and and working with working with writers and myself having the urge to write and to tell stories since uh, for a long time, and I couldn't do that on AAA. So when I told Will, you know, the game will is going to have text. It's like what text? Yeah, yeah we're going to write, you know, dialogues for characters. Di- dialogues? Are you sure? Yeah, yes, I promise you. They're going to be people speaking in tiny bubbles. <laughs> you know, that's what the game's going to be. <laughs> and it was kind of a, of a disbelief, but people had faith in me and said, "Oh, sure, you can do it." Okay, we know how to animate characters. We know how to make uh, game design components. So probably, I mean, we believe in you. Uh, and I had a feeling of uh, faith, but you know, um, skeptical approach this and through the hiring process we had to hire two more uh, designers specifically level designers and i was again fortunate enough to cast people who are very good writers uh, both alex uh, tommy and max um, and the other designer they they write really well so i was happy to basically uh unload a bit of the the, the work i had to do for the writing to towards them so uh the three of us we wrote uh well uh, each a third of the characters uh max wrote a whole lot of the what we call the denizens dialogue little guys we you know panaches of, of of smoke above their head mm-hmm. just pretty fun and funky and uh, he he wrote most of them um but yeah i mean it's a uh, uh, one other thing I wanted to do was a bit of a twist towards the the formula that the studio had established was, um, you know, uh, breaking the camera closer to the characters. Uh, there is a bit of a, of a weird reason why it's complicated in 2D because uh, 2D art asset 
are of a specific resolution. And if you go higher in resolution, it becomes extremely heavy. Uh, you know, game consoles like the Switch can really handle like very high resolution with many frames. Um, so at any rate, I brought the camera as close as I could, uh, you know, uh, to the characters, and we could have converse- conversation of characters on screen and having bubbles almost taking up the entire space of the screen. Uh, but if you've played Sandra, you've seen the characters is bouncing around uh, a lot. And then uh, because you have very, very, very big, you know, uh, boss fights, the playable character becomes very tiny on screen. And it's cool because you have that that offset, that difference between the giant bosses and the small character, but you lose a lot of the det- very cool details that went into animating the main character. So I wanted to make sure that the, car- the camera was closer. So that was another thing. And it allowed us to have more intimate, you know, engaging moments with uh, with spirits. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if I've answered your question at all, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's all, you know, uh, I've added to the studio beyond what they knew already how to do. No, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely super interesting. Yeah, I think one aspect was just around the gameplay loop itself. Um, you know, just kind of landing on that right balance of exploration, farming, narrative, uh, exposition. Like, h- how is that loop kind of conceived and making sure there's the right balance? Because it- it's it's a lot of different things that are happening. It is, and it's uh, it makes for a very complex game to develop because you have so many elements that have to work, uh, you know, um, together to have the whole experience work uh, properly. And uh, uh, I'd say that was our biggest uh, hurdle uh, through the development process because you had to have uh, the management has to be right. You have to write the right amount of resources. You have to write the right progression. So how often do I get things? Um, I don't know, new type of resources, a new island, new uh, mini game, you know, new abilities, um, and balance this out with the stories of the spirit you want to tell and who they are and what type of exposition they need to have. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a difficult thing to do. The first reflex we had to fight against was because every uh, distance was set. So we worked a lot on the you know the speed ratio of the bow, the distance between places, and because you're uh, at sea, right? You have to go from uh, point A to point B, and generally you go from a destination to another destination. But in between, you're on the ocean, and um, yeah, it it felt really boring. I mean, to be honest, at first, I mean, you had because you had like a boat and there is nothing else to do on it. And uh, Alex, the, the lead programmer, who is a bit of a game designer, he told me, I, I'm, I don't know about this. Are you sure it's not going to be like right boring the, the game? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It has to work together, but the, the first, so we we're always trying to struggle against the making sure that it was relaxing enough to not be overwhelming for our players and allowing us to create an intimate space for uh, intimate stories, yet not to be downright, there is nothing to do in that game. Um, so we just added more and more uh, mechanics because the, anyway, uh, mechanics work towards the goal we wanted to achieve about, you know, telling stories through the mechanics of taking care of spirits, taking care of others, and tending to uh, your boat and your spirits because you craft them, craft stuff for them. Um, and yeah, at some point, probably at say a year prior to release, we had too much stuff going on on the ship, uh, so I, I downplayed that a bit. But it was a, it was a very hard balance to find because you have so many components to work uh, that had to work together. And uh, quite late in the process, we had probably the end of the loop. And by loop, I really would mean something which is um, finding your spirits, um, having that spirits coming uh, uh, aboard with you, uh, accomplishing that spirit's request, and then that spirit is ready to leave and you bring that spirit to the Everdoor, so the place mm-hmm. where the spirit's going to go to the after afterlife, whatever you call yeah. it. Um, but that moment is the payoff, generally, of, of the spirit storyline. And we only had that moment in full 
uh, I'd say eight months prior to release because you have to have, again, the music working, you have to have the text finished, you have to have the animations uh, done, you have to have the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're a team of 15 and uh, we're working in um, Unity which is a pretty nimble uh, engine, uh, but everything we do is kind of, you know, uh, it's in-house tech and uh, uh, doing what looks like a cutscene is way more complicated than you would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the loop, the final loop uh, that I described, we, we had extremely late. Uh, so it was a bit of a bet, but uh, fortunately it paid off. Got it. Awesome. Um, maybe taking like a 30,000 foot view on the game now and maybe the genre we covered. Oh, the game looks so tiny from up there. <laughs> I can't see it. Um, uh, I, I think, how would you describe the appeal of this kind of genre to someone who's new? I think with the pandemic and all the stuff that happened last year, Animal Crossing has now become this like household name. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but like if somebody was walking by GameStop, or I guess it's EB Games in Canada still, and they you know, <laughs> saw Spearfare, what, how would you describe the appeal to them? It, yeah. Okay. So it's, um, it's a bit of a, of a curveball because I don't really know exactly what genre Spearfare is. Uh, so to a degree, uh, if it, if it was just a farm sim, mm -hmm. uh, I would say that a farm sim is is nice enough for you to chill in and and relax and having a you know a game that is non threatening in which there is no uh, fail state in which you don't feel pressure to do things. Mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of sometimes in a farm sim, you do have you know windows of opportunity and then you know you have to do things at a certain amount of time and to repeat them afterwards, which is not the case in Spirit Fur. Now, Spirit Fur is, is, is fun because we, to describe the game, as I just said at the beginning, we talk about a cozy game, and uh, the cozy genre is, is picking up. I mean, I've been saying this since the release, but even even before, there is a whole, you know, a cozy scene now in video game, and I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. I mean, the one of the best example is how good the Wholesome Direct was uh, yeah. this year during E3. I mean, I love E3, but the Wholesome Direct was absolutely stellar. I mean, you had so many good games. And uh, I guess it's a more inclusive, more gentle and kind approach to interactive experiences where you don't have to fight enemies and mm -hmm. do, uh, you know, uh, uh, be threatened and be pressured and, and feel, you know, under the pressure of, of success. So as a genre, I'd say that Spirit Fair is a mix. It's a cozy game. It's a relaxing game. Mm -hmm. And all this is a trap to engage you in deep emotions and you're going to cry. Uh, so it's a bit of a, <laughs> it's a bit of a honeypot, you know, it's like, oh, this is so relaxing. Why, why, am, why is this person dying actually yeah. in that game? You know? <laughs> uh, so it's a bit of a, of a weird situation where we are actually reeling people in. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I said, I'd say the, the first appeal is to basically unwind and relax and take some time with yourself. Uh, kind of as a self-care type of game. Hmm. Got it. Um, and maybe even in terms of the audience, something that came up in my mind when I was playing Spirit Fair is like, yes, I got the Animal Crossing Harvest Moon vibes from it. But with those games, that I get really stressed out because if I miss a week, I know I'm going to come back and That's the villagers right. going to hate me. Right? I got to do all this work. And it just... It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy I never played for a year. Was Spirit Fair kind of built with short play sessions in mind? Was it built for long play sessions in mind? Did it Does it somehow cater to both? Um, like who, who was the kind of audience that you were uh, building for? Right, that's a very that's a very good question, and that's a question design uh, game designers uh, often ask themselves. You know, the type of session player we'll have. Um, mm -hmm. 
And you're right in the sense that games like Star Trek, like uh, Animal Crossing, they do induce some type of FOMO there. You, yeah. you're, I kind of, you're afraid that you're going to lose out some stuff. Um, funnily enough, uh, I guess uh, almost all the team members do kind of have an adverse reaction to to feeling of missing out stuff in games. I myself hate this. Uh, I mentioned Alex, the little programmer, same thing, and he was always like saying, I don't want to miss that because if, if I do miss it, then I'm going to be stressed out and it's going to be you know anxiety-inducing moments. No, 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 don't be afraid. Uh, there is absolutely no way to lose something in Spirit for even if you... I mean, you could actually scrap some materials, but never mm-hmm. entirely. You know, we... Um, Again, I was talking earlier about you know fighting against our your own you know uh, uh, traditions as designers, and another one was again the the, the game designing too much of the game. Uh, for example, you know you, you at first you could burn your food pretty easily. Mm-hmm. You could you have mini games about crafting resources, and there are many of them. Uh, uh, one of them is way too hard, and is uh, you know uh, cutting planks in a sawmill. Yeah, and you could completely. M- miss your your mini game and then you would have only you know uh, scraps and that kind of sucked we were kind of okay so we're having that relaxing game and then say you have to perform well now <laughs> otherwise screw you and no it really it was really a, no 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 way we won't do that so you can still burn your food but you have to forget about it for 72 hours straight in the oven so it's kind of a long time yeah uh, at this stage if you forget <laughs> about it, it's kind of a more of a fun moment to say that oh my food has burned it's a possibility but it's not really meant to be a, a punishment punishment at all mm-hmm. um same for everything else we uh, i went with a, a more uh, casual approach of saying uh there there are still uh, mild challenges and you can still perform better uh, but you will go from the baseline to a bit more than it to the baseline so basically if you fail a minigame you won't have uh, uh, you know six blanks but four so we'll still have something out of it um, mm-hmm. and and yeah then again it's, it was meant to completely remove any type of anxiety about performance and success um, in the game uh, same for you know we also have a, a light platforming element in Spirit First, so you have to uh, move Stella around, and you have an ability set growing, and then you have to jump on platforms and do things. Uh, you don't miss much; you fall, which you can just like do it again. There is no lives, there is no death, there's nothing of this sort. And also, um, in a game in which you have to really consider what it means to die and to pass away, mm-hmm. uh, having a fail state, fail state. Uh, felt weird yeah. uh, the classical phase state of a video game is is you are dead yeah. uh, and all of you have pictures of, of Dark Soul with a big guy <laughs> died. Uh, died in red in front of the screen and you feel shame and oh no I lost my soul uh, and in a game about dying it felt weird to actually even think of the fact that this is what normal games do. This is what you have. You either kill things or you're killed by them. Mm-hmm. That's the standard situation there. And uh, yeah, it was it was meant to be as far away from that as possible. So I guess we kind of censored ourselves into trying to avoid any type of fail state in Spirit Fair. Got it. Okay, cool. Nick, you've mentioned uh, a couple of separate times, obviously, the very important role that like death plays in this game, both across from a narrative perspective and from a gameplay one. Um, it's obviously a pretty recurring theme for the studio across a lot of your games. What do you think makes it such an interesting theme for the team to to, to kind of explore? Right, it makes us look weird, right? We have, we've always shipped games about death. I mean, what is tell about it? But it's a... Uh, uh, I don't know about death specifically. Yeah, probably it is, but uh, beyond having to talk to our psychiatrist collectively, I guess the uh, most important point is the fact that uh, it is a it is a subject that is uh, universal. You know, it's a 
um, we, it sounds a bit presumptuous, but we will always be tackling games that, again, mean something. And we try to find, uh, you know, subject matters that could speak to anyone and to everyone. Um, this is also probably something, you know, uh, it's, I'd say maybe it's a reaction to the, to the whole industry, but it's a, it's more of a, you know, making sure that at all level we craft stuff that could, you know, have an appeal to anyone on earth, uh, talking about a subject that is close to anyone. And death is, is indeed a, a big major human problem. Well, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's a, it's a thing that, <laughs> sorry, spoiler alert, we will die. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of sad, but it's at the same thing. It's at the same time, it, it is the, the reality, you know, it's a, uh, so it's a subject that is, that is universal. And uh, that's probably why. And we'll, I don't know if the next game we'll be doing will be about death, maybe, but uh, we will, whatever we do, we will find a subject that is a, a globally understood and that has an universal appeal because it helps us create, you know, experience that matter for, for us and for the audience. Yeah, that makes sense, especially given the context of COVID. Of course, I think it's something in particular that a lot of people have been feeling. Of course, it's on top of mind for everyone. You know, uh, it's an experience that we've all been sharing a lot more. Was there any consideration to the kind of opposite nature between death and the, the fundamental nature of the gameplay, which was very you know mechanical slash like uh, management focused? You know, both of those are very opposites. Was there any consideration for that? Yeah, actually, this was the whole point. I mean, the the uh, the management gameplay is there to serve the purpose of of caring for others. Um, I've said on you know often that you know in a in a management uh, simulation you tend to just your goal is to expand and then expand and then expand and then expand and there is no end to it. You just wanted to go further. And I always felt like it left me a bit empty doing this. I mean, I love playing Stardew Valley, but at the end of the day, I don't. I feel I've, I've accumulated things rather than uh, having a journey that was fulfilling. Um, I guess it goes uh, a bit, you know, against the capitalistic nature of the society. But it feels like you have to uh, get stuff and and grow and more and more and more and more. Um, so uh, going back to Spiritfarer, and I really don't want to spoil the reason why, but it made sense for us to say tenderness comes from the act of, of giving something to others. You know, So you have to uh, work uh, towards the, the benefits of others. So the reason why you plant carrots is to make food with that food and that food you will like, give to a spirit and that spirit will be happy because he or she will be fed and maybe sometime we'll find her his or her uh, favorite food and same for uh you know housing and shelter and and everything you do you do that for others so uh actually uh, death is the purpose but death we don't really talk about that in spirit for death happens at the end of this of those people's journeys but um you, every, whatever everything you do is is uh you're doing about life right you are actually making these people um staying alive and and keeping their uh their their you know their lives uh, vibrant up to the final point um which is also a, a takeaway I, I personally had from visiting you know uh, uh end of life wards when i was documenting about the, uh, the project and uh when you're meeting someone who know that person is going to die and that person knows uh, he or she's going to die well, they're still living. They're still doing stuff. They're still, you know, uh, having breakfast, and they're still be uh, having a dentist appointment. I mean, from a from a rational point of view, if you know you're gonna die in three months, uh, it's safe. I don't care about my teeth. My teeth can be rotten. I don't really give a damn. But no, yes, you do. You want to still be doing the things you you were doing when you were alive. Um, so that's why pretty much you know everything you do in spirit is about life rather than death, um, and that's what 
makes the game a bit more death positive rather than you know death you know negative and being afflicted by it. He kind of uplifted by the fact that life is still there rather than the fact that death is going to happen. Got it. Thank you. I, I think tying all that together, then you know, <laughs> we went pretty deep into kind of the themes and who the game is for, what what were some of the inspirations and, and kind of the narrative um, direction that it take. You know, what do you hope that gamers will feel as they play this game? I think the cliche way to answer the uh, ask this is like, what is the message of that Spirit for Error is trying to say? But like, you know, as they go through this process after they finish. Um, is, is it just kind of a wholesome message of, of like live your life, it, you know, care for others? I think there's like different types of messages that we've touched upon. Um, but what is kind of the thing that that's in your mind? Right. Well, first, thank you for mentioning this because uh, uh, we were really trying to shy away from imposing a message or you know a lesson to people. It's more of a an exploration uh, in which we're uh, uh, guests ourselves. You know, we've, cre- we've created a system in which we can ourselves explore and experiment with different types of situations. And I think that's what games are about. I mean, games that try to you know really convey a very strong message sometimes miss the point, but uh, because it's all to the player to actually explore the space. Um, now, for for uh, at say the uh, uh, the vibe or the takeaway as I say it is uh, there are several of them that I tried myself to figure out uh, about in general in life what could make death um, a bit less scary and a bit less you know um, terrifying and one of the biggest takeaway for me uh, I don't know if I've still integrated that enough in my life but it's the fact that um, life exists uh, well actually people exist in you and there is a very important concept of legacy and heritage and now i'm talking about just like simple you know classic you know my parents have died and i have inherited their uh fortunes or their debts depending on the type of parents you have but uh it's a uh, it's really about the fact that people who of course your family but your friends and even people you you don't know but you know public figures or or authors or musicians they will have they did have an impact on you and who you are as a person and you carry them with you forever basically so you're shaped by your different influences your social influences and the fact that the result of all those influences is you is kind of what makes death a bit more of a uh, you know, uh, a cycle, a, a cycle through humanity, rather than just a simple, you know, hey, that person's life has stopped and that person stopped existing. I mean, yes, actually they did, but still, their work, their influences, their family, their everything they did, uh, rippled through uh, their social network and who they actually interacted with. And the way to convey that that concept in Spirit Fair was that uh, everything Stella does, the main character, she does because. She's been taught to do that by the spirits. And that's why she remembers all those souls, basically, because everyone on that boat had a huge influence on her life. And they still exist. Uh, Summer, the snake spirit, she teaches Stella how to uh, basically uh, grow seeds and you know take take care of plants. So each time Stella will take care of plants, she will do that because it's has been it has been taught to her by Summer. So it's still Summer's hand guiding her through the process. And the same goes for us. I mean, in the, I'm a big Epicurean. I mean, I, I love food. And the, the number of times uh, chefs do talk about their mothers or their fathers, I mean, having fixed uh, them a dinner and them reminiscing all those incredible uh, moments of them eating that food and remembering how their uh, grandparents' parents had, you know, cooked that food. It's a, it's a legacy. I mean, it's, it's not just about the food. It's about the fact that those people have transmitted that to you and then you carry on their legacy by doing the same actions. Um, so that's what makes uh, Spirit for a bit more of a, 
you know, um, wholesome, um, I'd say, experience rather than a, a crushing drama. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for diving into that. So, uh, yeah, so we wanted to step away a little bit from from talking about the game and learn a little uh, a little bit more about how the team works um, and, and the process of making game. How would you uh, guys yeah. describe the process of, of making Spiritfarer uh, and how the team is structured and likes to work together? Right, so picture a mess and then picture worse. No, it's, a joke. <laughs> uh, it's always complicated to make a game. Uh, it's always, you know... It, I've been making games for a very long while and I've never actually felt like a game I've shipped was like out of a, a very tight schedule with perfectly placed components and things cascading in a very nice way. It never flows that that well. It's always a bit of a grind. Um, first, because of the uh, iterative nature of the game design process. I mean, you, you want to do things, you prototype stuff, and then you test them, test those ideas out, and some of them stick, some 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 don't, and then you have to leave things out. Um, also, for us, the game, the, the team grew a bit in size during uh, the process. I started the game, we were, what, six in the studio, and uh, the team grew up to uh, 15, so you added quite a bit of, uh, of workforce there. And, uh, but basically, as in a nutshell, uh, all games go through the same process of having a, a preconception where you're having ideas, and then you say, "Oh, I want to uh, make a game about uh, pirates, you know, on a dying sun, uh, trying to loot cargo." That's in a nutshell, and I'm influenced by, uh, you know, uh, old Japanese movies. It sounds like an interesting game, right? I don't know. I just made it up, but anyway, I wrote it. I wrote it down. Okay, good, don't worry. Good, good. <laughs> and, and then you try to. Uh, argue organizes ideas and depending on the company you are in but you have gates to go through so basically validation of the process so once the preconception is made you go into more prototyping the first ideas um uh, a specific uh, moment that is quite uh, unique to indies is you try to find funding in general so you once you have a prototype or preconception has been made then you have a pitch uh, that is usually um, accompanied by a, a you know a, a demo, so some form of playable uh, slice of the game. Then you have to convince people to lend you enough money to develop it. Uh, if you are not you know self sustainable from a financial point of view, uh, even if you are a triple A, you still have to go through that stage of showing that what you have to a, a broader, larger structure within the company. Um, and then you go into more of a developing phase that uh, games generally uh, mentioned the term alpha towards software development, which is I'm working towards a first uh, feature complete iteration of the game. So even if the game is ugly, some pieces pieces are missing, the content is not over yet, but uh, feature-wise, everything is kind of there. And then once that point is reached, then you go into what we call a beta, which is it's feature complete and content complete, but it's still terrible to play because it has tons of bugs and it's really not working uh, perfectly and uh, some elements are not working. And then from beta to gold, gold being you ship the game. That's kind of an old template because now games are a bit more complicated than that. And sometimes you could say, I want to reach alpha. Yeah, but what is alpha for us? I don't exactly know, but I think we will find out. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's going through stages. So for Spiritfair, we had, uh, if you're interested in this, we we had a prototype to show at the GDC 2018, uh, where we found our partner Kowloon Knights, which uh, who founded us, who uh, founded us, sorry, um, for the whole uh, uh, dev budget, and then we uh, announced the game at E3 2019 uh, with Microsoft on stage, um, announcing the the format we had and the platforms we we're on, but mainly the focus was uh, the game's going to be on Game Pass for everyone at launch. 
And then from that moment on, you try to find a release date and you find other partners to basically, uh, you know, amplify your voice and say, hey, the game is out. People will be interested in that thing. It looks cool. And uh, for us, it was Nintendo. We were featured in Nintendo Direct uh, in August um, 2020. And uh, the, the, the point was the game is out now. So it's uh, we've just announced that the game was, uh, was uh, about to be released and it's released actually now you can play it um so in a nutshell it's, that's what it is and it's it's a very 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 broad picture it's way more complicated than that but then it's a tons of a picture it's picture what i said with tons of uh, back and forth between different types of components of the game and 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 doubts and 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 moments of panic and moments of, of bliss and uh, you know it's a it's a long road and it's a hectic journey yeah, I think a hectic journey describes a lot of the process of development in general. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about uh, some of the biggest challenges that the team faced? I mean, I'm sure COVID obviously threw a wrench in everyone's plans when it came to work that was being done. But what were some of the other hurdles that that popped up in the development process? Uh, right, there were so many. Uh, for sure, yeah, as I said, COVID was something and the pandemic uh, forced us to, um, you know, uh, work remotely and uh, we weren't that, you know, uh, used to it. I mean, people in uh, some companies are working entirely remotely. I was um, hearing more about uh, what the, the Moon Studio, how to develop Ori, uh, and it's a game that's been made entirely remotely, whereas for us, uh, we had to only do it for the pandemic. Um, as for other types of hurdles, well, as I say, the... Uh, we only had the, uh, the 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 actual real emotional loop of spirit very pretty late, which is a problem on a game we uh, you know that that tries to achieve exactly this. Uh, so our our let's say our proof of concept happened way too late on the project. So it uh, let's say from you know uh, 2018 to late 2019, we're kind of still you know. Uh, scared that the thing wouldn't work. Um, I was, you know, moving the team forward, but you know, I had faith, but people were kind of in doubt, which makes total sense. Um, but that being said, the, the work made by the R team and the animation team and the level design team was so good that people were like, "Haha, I don't care if the game's going to be bad. At least that cat is awesome," you know. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, you go forward and you you have little victories, you know, here and there. But yeah, no, it's. Uh, it's a whole lot of thing. I guess the you know what the, the 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 biggest problem we had, and that's that's not really silly because no one noticed that at all. But I clearly remember, like in uh, 2018, we agonized over the fact that um, you play on a boat, yet that boat only goes to the right, which is really weird. And then you go on the islands, and you have a top view map of Spirit First World, and then you go from that point to that point, and the ship goes in every direction, right? Uh, yet you're still <laughs> still going right all the time. And no one noticed that. And uh, I... Which fortunately happens because otherwise people say, mm, "Wait a second, how come this, this just doesn't make sense?" Um, same goes for if you go, let's say you're point A and then you go to point E and then you go exactly reverse, so you go to point B to point A in reverse. Well, you will still have the boat going to the right, and there is a moment where the boat <laughs> should be basically doing a 180 degrees on itself, right? And we do that on the map with just a little, uh, you know, indicator of the boat turning sideways, but then the camera goes back. Uh, and we had tons of problems about the fact that, let's say you have an island behind you. What happened with that island? Now the island should be where you are now. So the island should reverse, you know, uh, a <laughs> starboard or, you know, and we just like completely organized the fact that how the world's going to be perceived and how um, people's, uh, you know, uh, basically sense of space is going to be affected. And then I also created some kind of a weird uh, world infrastructure in which you have like 
components of the world that existed before the world of spirit fur they were like yeah like giant boys being there and you have the uh, shafts of light to indicate that basically you have to stay far from the island to take your uh, boat to go there well anyway it just took mouth and mouth and mouth for us to say ah, people won't get it at all and no one no one noticed that at all. i mean whatever we did people were like oh yeah it's a boat yeah but they just no, no that's fine uh-huh. okay so we worked <laughs> seven months on something that actually no one noticed okay sure but it was just us thinking about space. And it makes sense because when you're making a game, you're always thinking of the, the relationship between space and components and how do you feel that space is evolving around you. Uh, you know, in the tr- 3D game, you have a character and you move in a 3D space. It makes absolute sense. Whereas in the 2D game, just a side-scrolling 2D game, it's it's a bit more, you know, uh, you have to use your imagination. But anyway, so yeah, there you go. It's a st- silly hurdle that we inflicted upon ourselves that wasn't actually one. Well, I'm I'm glad the team at least still thought about it, you know, going oh, for yeah, the realism, so making sure we're going in the right direction. It's also the kind of beauty of working in an indie studio, right? Like you're able to work on on these things that at a AAA studio you largely wouldn't be able to dive into just because it doesn't make sense to put seven months of time into something like that. But because you're, you know, really building something that 15 people care about and like, you know, investing all of their energy into, I think I, I can appreciate that from a very artistic perspective. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's just one thing that people didn't seem to care, but I'm sure everything else in the game, you know, starting from the art style, narrative, gameplay, like you and the team put countless hours into making sure everything was right. So, you know, that that's what adds up to, to such a yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, There is not one piece of spirit that has not been, you know, uh, thought after for a long time, yeah. Okay, Um I think that wraps it up. So actually, we'll leave it you a couple minutes if you wanted to kind of plug the game, plug the studio, anything like that. Uh, well, sure. I mean, it's. Uh, I also use the kind of time to plug other other games from other studios. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, it. That's yeah, fine no. Too. I mean, I've talked a long a long time about Spirit first, so uh, it's. I these days I. I wholeheartedly recommend people to play uh, Disco Elysium, which is a game I absolutely uh, love. Um, it's it's a, it's a really awesome game that I really, really think people should play more. Uh, actually, uh, we were fortunate enough to be uh, nominated in the in the final grand prize for the IGF award at the uh, uh, GDC, and the winner of that prize was uh, Yumurangi Generations, which is an absolutely gem as well. So play Yumurangi Generations. Uh, it's, it's an awesome game. Uh, but beyond that, I'd say just like uh, go through the the platforms you like, guys, and 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 you know f- the big names of games are cool, but uh, the indie scene is where things are happening. I mean, that's uh, okay. Sorry, now, some very good games are very well made. I love God of War. I love <laughs> Red Dead Two. I mean, those games are absolutely wonderful. But in in the meantime, you have so many very cool games coming from small studios, and it's it's going to happen more and more. I mean, you see tons of of devs, you know moving from big structure to smaller structures and doing stuff that is much more uh, personal. Uh, but um, yeah, depending on the type of camera you ha- you, you are, depending on the type of, of moment you want to have as well. I mean, uh, I myself, I'm a gamer who wants to find, you know, uh, uh, you know, takeaways from games and, and games that, that, that resonate with me. But at some other time, I can play Pong and Tetris. It's fine. Uh, you don't have to be always into trying to make sense of the game you're playing. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, beyond that, uh, I think in the indie scene is, uh, is just like going forward, it's going to be more and more interesting. Uh, it is already extremely interesting, but, um, you know, the industry is awesome. So, 
Yeah, plus one. I think going back to your earlier comment about the wholesome direct, that was also my favorite presentation during E3. Yeah. I was very excited about the number of cat games. Just, yeah. you know, so many cats. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have a favorite there? I think my favorite there was like the, the hot pot cooking simulator. I don't know if you if you saw that one. The hot, that sounds really cool, though. Have I missed that one? Maybe. There is a, we have a, as I said, we are funded by Colin Knights, which is an awesome fund, and they have so many great developers there. I I, I can't give any names because they're working on games that have not been announced yet. Um, But uh, one of the games there that's been announced is uh, um, Garden Story by Picogram, which is an awesome game. So Garden Story should be out pretty soon. I I haven't checked this out, but uh, uh, in Garden Story, you play... um, you know, characters like look like fruits, and it's in a very charming village, and you know, it's a bit of a extremely well made pixel art. Um, so yeah, you should play Garden Story as soon as now. Also, and uh, I talked with some friends over at uh, Sabotage Studio who were working on uh, Sea of Stars, which is going to be absolutely awesome. They've developed the Messenger prior to uh, to the game, and Sea of Stars is uh, an absolute gem, and their their Kickstarter was absolutely great. And Sea of Stars should be out beginning of next year maybe i don't know i don't want to throw them under the bus uh but anyway uh there are so many cool games to to watch and to to play so awesome i'll uh we'll make sure to put that in the description for this episode so folks can uh look up these games <laughs> yeah absolutely. i don't know when i listen to podcasts and i hear these names i always get lost so right right then no, no, you're right that wraps it up for this episode of loading screen a huge thank you again to nick from thunder lotus games for joining us today uh, loading screen is available on Radio Public, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your favorite podcast directories. If you enjoy this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, review, and share it with your friends. We're also on social media as Viewport Gaming on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Loading Screen is part of Viewport Gaming, a game gaming website that provides a look into video games through reviews, features, and podcasts. You can find all Viewport content at viewportgaming.com. And as always, I've been your host, Tristan. And this is Reza. Have a good one, everyone.